discussion with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. I'm very pleased to announce that tonight I'll be having a special guest, Dr. David Levy, who's actually the author of the past week's book of the week, Mindful Tech, How to Bring Balance to Our Digital Lives. Now, Dr. Levy uh, couldn't be in the studio because he is in Seattle, Washington, but he has joined me on the air and I'll be bringing him on shortly. But let me introduce you to him first. David Levy is a professor at the Information School at the University of Washington in Seattle. He earned his PhD in computer science at Stanford University and a diploma in calligraphy and bookbinding from the Roehampton Institute in London. For over 15 years, he was a researcher at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, exploring the transition from paper and print to digital media. Since 2000, his work at the University of Washington has focused on mindfulness training and other contemplative practices as a way to address the problems of information overload, acceleration, and distraction. His latest book, Mindful Tech, How to Bring Balance to Our Digital Lives, which we'll be discussing tonight, was published in 2016 by Yale University Press. Dr. Levy, thanks for joining me tonight. Hello, Dr. Levy, are you there? Hello, let me see. Let me try this again. Dr. Levy, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, hold on one second. I think we're having an issue with the phone. Let me try that again. Hello? I am here. Okay, we're all set. Sorry. Yes, yes, we can hear you quite fine. Uh, Thank you for joining me tonight. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you. Uh, So I really enjoyed your book, Mindful Tech, and I really hope the listeners will check it out. But before we jump into... Uh, the book, maybe you can discuss, give a little summary of the book and what uh, motivated you or made you want to write this book. Sure, I'd be, ha- I'd be happy to. First, one thing to be said is that I'm, I'm a longtime meditator, and I'm somebody who's been trying to cultivate my ability to be more present and attentive, but I'm also a computer scientist. Mm-hmm. So I've been, as I've been observing and watching how we've uh, increasingly become overloaded and distracted, by these really powerful technologies, I've kind of wondered if there were ways that we could be more mindful of how to use these technologies. Mm-hmm. And um, over 10 years ago, I started teaching a course at the University of Washington called Information and Contemplation, where the idea that I started with was if I gave um, students the opportunity to actually observe themselves while they were using their devices, their cell phones, their laptops and so on, and started paying attention to what was actually happening and how they felt when they used them. Could they come up? Could they begin to see their current habits, habits and could they begin to develop better habits? And mm-hmm. so out of that um, course called Information and Contemplation, I ended up teaching, uh, sorry, I ended up uh, writing this book called mm-hmm. Mindful Tech, which contains uh, basically the exercises that I have worked out with my students over more, ten, more than 10 years to help them notice what's working well for them when they're distracted, when they're mindful, and then to figure out how to develop better guidelines mm-hmm. or how to be successful, to be more effective 
um, and and to, to live more healthfully with these devices. Yeah, and even in that way, first of all, I thought what was interesting for me in the book is that you do mention the word meditation here and there, but it's not so explicitly stated. But I thought this book, in a way, is one of the best promotions of meditation because you show how important it can be, and even through the exercises, uh, which we'll get into in a bit, um, they almost have a meditative quality to them about fo- bringing the focus back to what you're doing, just like in meditation that we bring the focus back to the breathing. And also even the title, I think, to some might seem like an oxymoron because you say mindful tech, and very often people see and what they actually experience is that technology is something that makes them a lot less mindful or it makes them actually disconnect from being mindful and present. But as you mentioned, you're actually helping people through this book and as you do in your courses to find ways to actually be more mindful in the way that they're using technology, devices, uh, apps, whatever it might be, and people do get get positive results. And I myself experienced some of that too, which I hope to share. You know, to begin with, something I thought very interesting early in the book is you talk about how the way we use devices and the way we use technology can be likened to a craft. Can you maybe explain that, how it actually can be a craft? Sure. Well, well what I mean by uh, a craft is that we many of us have experience, whether it's with woodworking or with knitting or sometimes with a sport as well, where we're really committed um, to doing something well. I mean, another example would be playing a musical instrument. And when we're committed to uh, working with wood or playing an instrument or a sport, we go about what we're trying to do with intention. We really have a sense of what we're trying to accomplish, to play a musical performance or to build a bookcase. We want to do that with care. We really care about the thing we're trying to produce. And so we learn certain skills um, which will allow us to build that bookcase or um, play that musical instrument well. And then we're committed to continuing to learn to do that better. But what's so interesting about what's happened with our, our online lives is that for most of us, uh, through no fault of our own, we just have tended to drift on, we, online and learn certain ways of clicking around. Mm-hmm. But we haven't had the idea that we could actually study and be more observed and be more intentional when we're online and then actually do better and so that we could improve our online skills um, in a kind of um, careful, intentional, and systematic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what's so interesting about it is, and, uh, you know, the idea that we can do anything with more intention, but even something like using technology, which I think for a lot of us, we think it just kind of happened to us. Now we have smartphones and then these apps come and we start using them mostly in a mindless way, but that we can make a huge shift and bring more intention and focus into what we're doing. And that can be really helpful for people. And really the first step is even noticing how we use technology, which many of us maybe don't think of in a focused way. And that's what some of the exercises that you have in the book help people do or actually ask people to do is to become more mindful of what they're doing. And to me, that point is so important to just be aware of your purpose or your intention in in anything you're doing from using technology to having a conversation uh, to whatever else it might be. So um, I think we can almost look at this book as mindful tech, but also use those principles to recognize having a mindful life is something we hopefully all will, will strive towards. 
Um, you know, you mentioned a few things that the book can help people do, uh, two types of attention that it strengthens, task focus and self-observation. And task focus, I think, is what people usually think of when we say attention. They think it's being able to focus on something uh, for a long period of time. But self-observation, maybe people might find surprising as a form of attention, especially a form of attention that might help us in using technology. Can you maybe explain um, why you think that is so? Well, then you're exactly right, I mean, Fareed. That is, um, we, we do, in a sense, understand what task focus is, which is where we're trying to write a memo or we're searching for something online. And we, we realize that, in some sense, we need to be focused on that task. But by also turning our attention inward, we can begin to notice some of the things that are actually potentially obstacles mm-hmm. to our, our having clear task focus. I mean, it's a little bit like um, if you play tennis or, or you do um, some kind of craft, you might be directed to look at how you're using your hands or your arms or your eyes. And, and one of the things that I've discovered in working with people over you know, more, more than a decade is that often people don't realize, for example, the strong emotions that are arising when they're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. And two of the most common discoveries that people make when they turn to observe themselves is they begin to notice that often they're driven by anxiety or they're driven by boredom. But because they haven't noticed that, they may actually be driven to start clicking around mm-hmm. and not actually paying attention to what they're actually trying to accomplish. So we can, we, part of what distracts us is our, um, our, our can be strong states of mind or strong states of body. And if we were actually able to notice those states of mind and body, we could potentially open up a space of choice. You could say, oh, well, I'm supposed to be doing this work right now, but suddenly I find it really boring, so I'm going to go to Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Well, once you've noticed that boredom or anxiety is arising, you can then say, well, do I want to go to Instagram or Facebook, or do I want to stay with what I'm currently doing? Mm -hmm. And that's the principle behind all of this work. Open up a bigger space of possibilities beyond the habits that we are largely unconsciously using at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, therapy to me is uh, all about self-awareness and, and self-observation, something I've talked about in the show. And the first thought is, or the first step is actually just to even turn the focus inward. Because I think a lot of people, when they're using their phones, they take out their phones and they check Facebook for the 10th time and nothing has changed. They might not even realize why they're doing it. But then what is helpful is just to stop and just ask yourself, okay, what's motivating this? What's my purpose? What's leading to this? I think that first step can be really really critical because I think if you ask people, a lot of times they won't know why they're doing what they're doing. They won't realize it was out of boredom or anxiety until they ask themselves that question to reflect inward. And that that's why I think the exercises you have in the book are so helpful because people start to become aware of things they had no idea were happening inside of them. I think that's exactly right. In fact, I mean, I, I think of, um, you know, in the book, I have lots of examples of, of people, mm-hmm. uh, their actual written reflections on what, the, what they were learning. And I remember one student I worked with, an adult student, who, who began to realize the reason she was checking her phone all the time was because she was feeling overwhelmed by her life, and she didn't want to feel overwhelmed, and she didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But once she began to notice that, 
honestly, that she was that's what she was doing to try to manage her sense of overwhelm, she could then ask the question, well, what do I actually need to do in my life right now mm. that might help me with my overwhelm? And, and is checking my phone really uh, a sufficient solution to that? And of course, she decided it was not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's actually what's so key about self-awareness is not only the what, because you might realize, oh, I'm anxious and I'm checking Facebook or checking my phone, but then you can actually go deeper and go to the why and start to recognize, oh, I'm anxious about something, a deadline that's coming up, or yeah, maybe I'm unhappy with some things in my life and I'm looking for a distraction to get away from that feeling. And that's really key because without the awareness, we can't learn from those internal experiences that we're having that can actually be very informative. And that's what I think is so key to realize, okay, I'm anxious and not just I'm anxious, but let me try to think of why I might be feeling anxiety. Uh, For myself, I can share the experience I remember in graduate school, having a hard time starting papers, and then I'd have the blank Microsoft Word document open in front of me, and I'd be staring at the page for a few minutes, and the anxiety of writing an opening sentence or what I'm going to talk about would lead me to just go check Facebook. And I would do this sometimes over and over again, and it was very clear, and maybe I wasn't so uh, mindful of it back then, or I tried not to be mindful, maybe to avoid it. But it was clear that the anxiety of writing the right first sentence or just writing the paper was pushing me to try to distract myself and avoid it. And I would go to Facebook, not with any intention that I wanted to connect with anyone or see something specific, but just to get away from the anxiety of writing the first sentence of my paper. And so I did learn after a while to just start in the middle of the paper because I was having so much trouble with the opening sentences. But um, I recognized that I was using Facebook clearly as an avoidance for my own anxiety. That's a great example. Yes. I mean, I, and, and in fact, I think I've discovered that lots of people will make just those kinds of discoveries for themselves if they can slow down enough mm-hmm. and become mindful enough and turn inward and begin to notice what's happening rather than rushing forward and clicking around from one thing to another. Right. And yeah, actually, and speaking of turning inward and all that, we're getting close to our first commercial break, but maybe after the break, we can uh, talk a bit more about the different exercises you have in the book. You can tell us a bit what they are and how people can do them, um, and then also what the purposes are of those. So after the break, we'll get into some of the exercises that you can find in Dr. David Levy's book, Mindful Tech, which we'll be talking about after the break. Uh, Thank you again for joining me, Dr. Levy. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi again. Joining me tonight is author of Mindful Tech, Dr. David M. Levy. Dr. Levy, are you there? I'm here. Okay, great. So uh, as I mentioned before the break, maybe now we could get into some of the exercises that you have in the book um, that people can do to help them become more mindful of the way they're using technology and their devices. So start us off with the first one, which is uh, observing email. Sure. So the very first exercise is meant to be a simple observation exercise of some technology practice that you do. So in the book, I suggest, for example, observing yourself using email, but you could equally do it observing yourself using Facebook or Instagram or texting. It could be any one of those practices. But Mm -hmm. basically what I ask people to do is to spend some time uh, over the course of uh, typically over a few days um, 
doing, so let's say, email as your as your current practice, and and but as you are um, scanning your inbox, as you are um, opening email messages, um, deleting them, reading them, responding to them, and so on, you actually notice what's happening in your mind and body. Mm-hmm. You begin to notice um, what emotions are arising. You begin to notice. Maybe if your posture is changing, or your breath, or even what the quality of your attention is, and I and I suggest that people try to keep a, a li- either a little notepad right right next to them, where they can jot down some of their um, observations, um, or they could also have, of course, another window open on their uh, if they're using their their laptop and jot down notes. And so for over the course of multiple um, observations, you just start noticing certain patterns and habits that you have. So, for example, what emotions arise when you just look at your inbox? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's potentially very, very um, revealing. It t- tells you something about your relationship to email. And so after you've um, have done these observations, uh, now especially when I do this in the classroom, I'll have students then um, look back over their notes and then come up with certain guidelines based on what you're noticing. Mm. What might you do differently about email in the future? And then if you're, uh, you have the potential to write about this, journal about it, or if you're doing it with other people, you could share wh- wh- what you're discovering. And so it's, it, it, I have to tell you, uh, Fareed, that you know, when I do this exercise with people, they're not sure that they're going to – it's not obvious to them that they're going to learn anything mm-hmm. particularly interesting from, well, what, what, what's going on with my breath or what emotions are arising? Why would that be interesting? But as soon as they start to do it, they begin to realize that by slowing down enough and turning inward, as we were discussing before the break, mm-hmm. they begin to notice what's actually happening in their mind and body. They begin to see, for example, certain obstacles. Like, wow, I had no idea that when I just scan my inbox, um, it brings up all this anxiety that all the stuff I, I do, uh, I have to do. And then I hold my breath, and then maybe I want to do something else. And so um, just just doing uh, uh, observations like this opens up the possibility of doing things differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's interesting to hear that people don't recognize how much is going on within them that they think, well, this exercise might not teach me anything, but then they start to see there is so much going on, anxiety, um, and also their bodies. And we know that people very often, it's becoming almost a health issue. People are sitting so much at desks and doing work at computers, but they're not aware of their bodies and the stress they're putting on them. Maybe their legs are hurting, their wrists and hands might be hurting, but they're not even paying attention to them to recognize they maybe need to make adjustments or notice that pain, but especially the emotion. I think many people talk about the stress they have over email. So some people are aware of it, but but others are not. And also what I think is really interesting about the book, and you mentioned this throughout, is that you don't have a prescription for everyone, that everyone should do the same things to get better at email or the same things to be better at multitasking because you recognize that it's more of a personal thing. Everyone has to look at themselves, become aware of how they do what they're doing, and then make those adjustments and make those guidelines for themselves. And I think that's, that's really interesting for people to know that in reading this book, and you mentioned it in the book, that it's not, okay, here are five ways to get better at email, and there's tons of those online that people can find and maybe might even find useful. But your book is more towards people personalizing their experience or learning about their personal experience to then 
come up with ways to be better and more mindful with how they use that technology. So I think, yeah, people uh, might not realize how much is going on within them all the time, but even when they're doing something that might seem mundane, like checking their email. So after they've done the the observation and come up with some guidelines um, and ways to maybe improve how they use email, the next exercise is called focused email. Can you tell us about that? Right. So um, and now I think to explain that a little bit more, I need to say something about the meditation sure. exercises that are that are fundamental to this work as well. I mean, I know many people now have, have been had some experience with mindfulness meditation, mm-hmm. either through yoga or through mindfulness classes. And we know that one of the most basic exercises that can strengthen a person's attention is to pay attention to the breathing. So you start, you, you, you quiet down, you start focusing on the in-breath and the out-breath. And, of course, what we often notice is we're so easily distracted that even trying to do something as seemingly simple as pay attention to the breathing um, doesn't work all that well because we suddenly get distracted by thinking about what's for dinner mm-hmm. or having an itch that that then makes us think about other things. And so, but the basic idea of, of, of the basic of, of the mindful breath exercise that more and more people are doing is keep bringing your attention back again and again to the breath. And so, what I do in the in this next exercise is I say. You know, you don't have to use the breath as the object of your focus. You could use email itself. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so in that, in the second exercise, I'd say now what I want you to do is I want you to just work on your email. And when you notice uh, that your mind is straying or that you want to go to something else, see if you can catch it before you go somewhere else and just come back to email. Or if, in fact, as happens to a lot of people, we go on automatic and even though we thought we were working on email, suddenly we're on Instagram. Well, you discover that you're on Instagram, and then you bring yourself back to your email. So you're actually doing two things. You're, you're strengthening your attention in the same way that you would by um, using the breath, except you're using email. And you're also getting to work on your email. So you're actually using the very, practice, the very technology practices that seem to be tools of distraction, Mm-hmm. to strengthen your ability to pay attention. Right, yeah, and I th- what you mentioned almost made me laugh because I've done it, and I know me- many people have experienced that. They don't even realize they've switched tasks, that they've gotten away from what they're doing until they've you know been on Instagram for five minutes uh, and done that. And also, reading the exercise and how you describe people to do it, it, it keeps saying email, and very easily you could have just replaced the word breath, and it would have been exactly like meditation, that when you notice your attention has gone away, bring it back to the breath, or in this case, bring it back to the email. And you also promote doing this in a non-judgmental way, which is part of the, the meditation practices, that you don't get mad at yourself or you don't you know, say, why am I thinking about this? But you just bring your focus back gently to what you're trying to do. So in that way, it becomes, uh, you know, you're, you're also being kind to yourself in the process, but you focus on, on the email and the task that is at hand. And also, again, I think recognize what is triggering you? You know, we talk about you talk about the internal triggers and the external triggers, and I think people can learn a lot about themselves and what's distracting them, and then make make some changes to how they do things to become more efficient and to feel better while they're doing those things. Um, so yeah, that was the, the observing email and the focused email, and maybe now we can move on to the next exercises, which are related to multitasking, which I think is such a uh, kind of a topic that people talk a lot about. People often show off about that they 
multitask or we think we have to multitask in today's world, and maybe at times we do. Um, but people often have the idea of multitasking wrong, or even this idea that you're doing more than one thing at a time. Can you maybe explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, it's very common to think that when we, what we mean by multitasking is literally doing two, three, or four things at the same time. Mm-hmm. But in fact, when you look at, at the way the brain works in these in focused tasks, it's actually what we call multitasking is actually rapidly switching attention from one thing right. to another. So you switch from email to Instagram to Facebook to your phone, you know, to a phone conversation. And of course, we've all had the experience um, you know, we've all been caught out at times when we were, you know, for example, uh, looking at our email and talking to our partner <laughs> on the phone, and suddenly, you know, the, our partner realizes that we weren't giving them our full attention yeah. because we were no longer, we weren't doing a very good job of switching between <laughs> them. But multitasking really is about focusing on one thing, moving on to something else, moving back and forth between multiple tasks. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to, I think people think they're doing more than one thing at a time, but it turns out that they're not. So that's the next, uh, the ser- next series of exercises looks at that. So yeah, tell us about the next um, exercise that people are doing, which is observing themselves multitasking, which m- might sound difficult, but you say there are some aids that they can use or apps they can use with that. Well, before I go to that, let me just sure. say that I think, you know, multitasking is a hot topic that generates a lot of strong emotions. And some people think that it's a terrible thing. You should never do it. And other people think it's a 21st century literacy skill. And I'm really much more interested in looking at it in context and not making black and white right. distinctions like that. So what I, what I have people do with multitasking is, you know, it's, it, in some ways it's hard enough to observe oneself just doing one thing. Like, like email. Um, but when, if you're trying to do multiple things, you know, and switching rapidly between them, it can be harder to, to turn the light of awareness inward. And so what I recommend to people is that they download software onto their laptop. There are various commercial tools that will do this, some of which are actually um, available free, um, so that they can actually record what's going on on the, on the screen. So you can actually have a recording of you moving between one thing and another, and you can, and, and some of these tools will actually record audio. So if, like if your phone rings or you get a beep because of a text message, you can hear that. So you essentially record yourself now in the middle of a firestorm of switching between various things. And, and then you do very much the same kind of exercise as we did with, um, with email observation. You look at the video of yourself. And you begin to notice what I will call the choice points. Those are the places where, you know, for example, something else was arising. You were working on something, you heard your phone ring, and you had a choice about whether to go to your phone or whether to stay with what you were doing. And so by actually observing those choice points and what you decided to do, whether you decided to switch or to stay, you begin to get a sense of what your current multitasking habits and practices are like. And then again, you do the same thing. You say, all right, based on these habits, what's healthy and effective? And then you prepare guidelines for yourself. Yeah, and I think that, that that's interesting. I can imagine you mentioned some people, I think, in the book. Uh, it, it might not be an easy video for a lot of people to watch just because they might be surprised at what they do and what distracts them and how you know what they're doing. And even I thought you quoted an interesting study or you mentioned an interesting study where even knowledge workers, I think it was they only focused on one thing for about 11 minutes 
at a time. And even that was split up into three-minute segments, something like that, where it really showed that people, even when we think they're being so focused, they're actually getting distracted much more often than they might think they actually are. So it can be good to, to do an observation of yourself multitasking to see what you're doing. And as you mentioned, it's all about the awareness and then the choice. You know, it's okay to multitask at times. Like you said, it's not all good or all bad, but being more aware of the choices we're making to switch tasks when we're doing it, why we're doing it, can really be informative and make people uh, perform or just act in a way that feels much better for them. So yeah, they do the observation of the multitasking and then similar to the email exercise, the next exercise is focused multitasking. Can you talk about that a bit? That's right. And, you know, focused multitasking can sound like an oxymoron. It can sound like <laughs> a contradiction. Because if you, if you think, um, if your idea of what multitasking is, is just a sort of vague, distracted state of kind of bumping around in the dark between different things, then, then, it, then focused multitasking doesn't mean anything. But the basis for multitasking is actually some, some, some properties of the human attentional system which is that we have the ability to focus on particular things at any one moment. Um, like, you are presumably, are, you know, our listeners are actually focusing on what you and I are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have um, a kind of open attentional system, which is what allows us to notice um, um, dangers, you know, uh, a wild beast that's about to come or, or, where, or, or a car that's... Um, that's running, running the stoplight. You know, we need to have peripheral awareness as right. well as focused attention. And so, but, but, the, but what we can do much better, which is what the basis of the focus multitasking exercise is, is if we are more attentive, we can be do, working on something, um, like we're working on a report or we're, um, maybe we're actually doing something on Facebook or whatever it is, and then we can perceive possible inter- interruptions arising mm-hmm. like our phone ringing or the or the sound of a of a text message arriving and at that point we then could pause if we're if we're attentive enough and aware and we could in effect um, uh, say oh i have a choice now i mm-hmm. actually have a choice as to as to whether i'm going to switch to something else or i'm going to stay focused and once we have decided based on our current intention back to this craft idea of be trying to be intentional. Once we're clear about what our intention is and we make a choice, then we continue to focus on whatever it is that we think we need to do next. We stay on Facebook, we stay on email, or we switch to something else. Mm-hmm. But of course, in order to do this kind of much more focused multitasking, we need to be perfect, working on our attentional craft. We need to be able to strengthen our ability um, to notice potential interruptions and distractions, and then to make mindful choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even that moment, you know, we have to, rather than just react to what's happening, we want to respond, which means being a little bit more aware and making a choice. I think very often when it comes to things like notifications and rings and dings, people almost react and think they have to check it right that moment, and it can be hard for them not to, to the point where maybe it can be helpful just to turn those things off for some people. But what you're saying is that you actually do have a choice. You don't have to check everything every time uh, that trigger is is set or switch without recognizing you're switching. You can be more intentional. That that issue of choice, I think, is so key. And even in a way, it's almost a gift that I think you give people when they do these exercises, recognizing 
that choice can be so critical in people making decisions that they feel better about in the long run. You know, we've come to another commercial break. After the break, we'll talk a bit about uh, unplugging, something that I think people, you know, we hear a lot about disconnecting to connect. So we can talk about unplugging and some other thoughts that we have. I'm again joined by author of Mindful Tech, Dr. David Levy. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Again, tonight I'm joined by Dr. David Levy, author of the book Mindful Tech. Dr. Levy, um, maybe now we can talk about the last series of exercises, which um, look at unplugging, which is another hot topic that people uh, talk about a lot. And so maybe you can tell us about that exercise and and what you ask people to do there. Sure. So um, I guess what I would say first is just that, you know, a lot of the previous exercises are, in a sense, how to use the technologies better. Mm-hmm. But there also are times when maybe we should just shouldn't be using them, right? right um, yeah. And so um, in, in the unplugging exercise, I ask people to make a commitment for they, they They choose a period of time, let's say 24 hours, or some people choose longer, as much as a week, and they decide either to do a complete fast and give up all tech, or you could say, I'm just going to give up um, certain technologies for that period of time. And you make that commitment, and then the same kind of thing, observation skills apply. Once you say, let's say you're going to give up social media, you're mm-hmm. going to give up Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat or whatever you're using for 24 hours. Well, very likely what's going to happen is that you're going to start feeling a certain itch or desire to use the technologies. And and I suggest that what you do is you use those same basic observational skills. What's actually going on right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it that's making, emotionally, what's making me feel like I want to get on Facebook? Is it a fear of missing out? Is it because I'm feeling anxious about something else in my environment? Um, Am I feeling it in my body? Is it affecting my posture? Is it affecting my breath? And so you observe yourself over that period of time, and basically you you keep notes about that, and then you begin to see what your actual patterns are and perhaps what's driving you to use um, social media as as often as you do, and and then you come to establish certain guidelines for that. So that you're really coming, the surprising thing, I think, for people who go do these exercises is you might think that when you've done the other exercises on email and on multitasking, that you've figured out everything you need to know. So it's a surprise to discover that the act of unplugging actually gives you a whole new set of insights into what's driving your online behavior and how you might want to change it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this one people might find really, I think you can learn a lot through all of them, but this one they might notice just how intense some of the feelings are that might come up or, you know, the anxiety, the boredom. And and I also have uh, some thoughts on boredom because I, I hear it a lot in therapy too. People will talk about being bored and very often boredom, it, it can be actual boredom, but more often than not, it's something else. It can be actually anxiety that people take as boredom. So I've heard people who maybe aren't aware that they have some social anxiety. They say, oh, this party was really boring. But it's actually that they were checking out because they were getting anxious. So they actually were more anxious than bored. Or often it could be related to feelings of depression or sadness and could give us a feeling of of boredom. So I think, as always, 
you know, these exercises encourage people to, to become aware of themselves and then hopefully to dig deeper too, to even, well, why was I anxious? Why was I bored? And what was my boredom about? And that can be uh, really eye-opening, I think, for people to see that. And I think there were some funny anecdotes that you share from people saying how just after even maybe an hour or a very short amount of time, they found themselves almost feeling like they were going crazy because they wanted to use whatever it's they said they would not use for 24 hours or however long. And I think people might have similar experiences if they try that that exercise to not use Instagram, Facebook, or their phone um, for a day. Uh, and you also talk about how people, through unplugging, they can actually connect more to other, not just people, but even nature, which I thought um, was interesting, or just their surroundings. And, and a last thing for me is it, people talk about disconnect to connect, and they usually mean with the people around you. But to me, it's also about connecting to yourself most more than anything because that's who you're actually most distant from when you're, you're using technology oftentimes. And when you disconnect, you start to get more in touch uh, with, with yourself and with your own experiences and, and internal uh, feelings. So I think that can be really interesting. From your own experience teaching this class for, for many years, um, what's, what's some of the findings that you see most people have in this unplugging exercise, or what do they learn about themselves? Well, one of the things that people will, will notice, and it can sometimes be an embarrassment, although I, I want them not to, to feel that, you know, not, not to take it too hard, and because I want them to be able to be kind to themselves. But mm-hmm. people will notice that, you know, having made a commitment that they unconsciously are suddenly on the very tools <laughs> yeah, that right, they, yeah. they weren't going to use. Mm-hmm. And they can just see, wow, this is a hard thing. This is not an easy thing necessarily. But as you point out, I think, I mean, especially like the students I work with, and I, and by the way, I work with students from, you know, uh, um, anywhere from 18 and 19 up to 40s and 50s, mm. if I'm working with graduate students as well. Mm-hmm. But people will notice, wow, if I've really decided not to use my phone, when I walk across campus, I can actually hear the birds, I can, you know, I can smell the flowers, and, and it's, a really, it's a real revelation. Or they can say... You know, there were things I, other things I really wanted to do, like I wanted to play my guitar more, or I wanted to actually read a book. Mm-hmm. And they, they have, by taking the risk to open up this space and possibly feel anxious and bored and all of that, they also open up the space of possibilities to do some of the other things that they actually really want to do. Yeah, and even, you know, you talk about connecting more, observing things more. One of the chapters, actually, your title is Falling in the Fountain, and you talk about that video that went viral of the girl who fell into the fountain because she was looking uh, in at her phone. And even if we've all haven't fallen into a fountain, we've probably done something embarrassing or similar in a way because of not being mindful and we're in our devices. So I think it's interesting for people to take that look um, at themselves. And, and that's why I think actually in all the exercises, your last step, I think it's step six almost always, is to share and discuss with other people, which I think is great because one, we learn from others, but also just like you said, many people might be embarrassed. But then when, when we start talking about it, we realize we're all doing similar things. Most of us have some kind of experience similar to what someone else might go through. And hopefully that can reduce the shame or the embarrassment that we feel and make us more comfortable talking about it, looking at ourselves um, more realistically and with, you know, with open eyes and, 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 you know, even maybe laughing at ourselves, but then growing through that process, which I think is really important. Now, we just have a few minutes and I did want to transition to something else you do touch on in the book, which can be related to how people feel when they try to unplug. And that's the idea of things like 
internet addiction? Uh, and is it addiction? What does that mean? What are some of your thoughts uh, on this? Well, I want to start by just acknowledging that I have a friend and colleague who, uh, her name is Dr. Hillary Cash, who runs an internet addiction center in the Seattle area, somebody I bring into my class and I've learned a lot from. So um, basically what I've learned from Hillary is that there are people who are pretty extremely caught. I mean, she works with uh, often with young men who can't hold down jobs and can't have relationships because they're playing video games in 20 hours a day. So there are, and, and, and as I think you know, Fareed, as a clinical psychologist, the, the psychology community is a little bit uncertain whether or not to call things like our use of cell phones literally an addiction. Right. But mm-hmm. I think what nobody can deny is that even those of us, and I include myself in this, who are, are able to have hold down real jobs and, you know, and, and live lives and have relationships with others, that there's a sense in which we feel a bit kind of grabbed by, if not literally addicted right. by, by all of these devices. And so, and the other thing I would say that I think is really an exciting switch that's just been happening in the last six months to a year is that after a long time of a lot of um, uh, un- confusion about whether to talk about things like internet or, or, or cell phone addiction, that even people inside Silicon Valley are acknowledging this is a problem. So whether or not the psychology community wants to declare it technically an addiction, I think we're at a very interesting stage where we're beginning to realize that there is a collective problem here. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, you mentioned Silicon Valley, and there, you know, you hear people and they talk about how the apps, they're using psychology to try to hook people. They want to make you addicted. They want you to check as frequently as you can and to stay on as long as you can. And they do things like time the ways that they give you notifications or different things that they do. So they're trying to tap into that, whether you want to say it's clinically considered an addiction or not, but they're they're trying to pull you in. And I'm happy to hear and see that there are some, or is there some pushback or uh, people that are trying to make us become less addicted to them? Because I think for me, I, I would consider an addiction, but that doesn't necessarily matter. But the reason why I think that is that it can interfere with people's lives. They can um, need more and more of it. And when they don't have it, they experience things like withdrawal, just like you talked about in the unplugging exercise, and it, and it interferes with their lives and relationships. So to me, it has all those elements that make it at least addictive-like or close enough to an addiction. And whether or not we call it an addiction, maybe we can just call that the semantics of it. But we want to look at how it's hurting us or helping us and then finding ways to make it hurt us less and also still be able to, to get the benefits out of it. And that's something that also like you, you throughout the book, you don't talk about things as good or bad. You mentioned that it depends on the context and also depends on how you're using it, if it's helpful and healthful for you. And that's for each individual to figure out. So yeah, I hope, uh, you know, I actually want to look at your colleague's work and see what, what she's doing. Um, and I hope the psychological community comes to more of a consensus just so we're all on the same page and can go forward. And sometimes we can get caught in the, the labels and the diagnosis issue and not focus on, okay, well, how do we just help people and help society become better at using technology? And that's also something you talk about that as personal as this book is, you hope it also gets people to talk about how as a society and, and culturally we can make things better. And just we have about a minute left. Can you maybe talk about that minute or two left? Can you talk about what your maybe thoughts or hopes are and what we can do 
uh, societally to, to make things better and how we use technology? Well, I think what I would just say very briefly is that it's time for us to have a broader and deeper conversation, mm-hmm. not just talk about uh, cell phones and their features or, or, or black and white, what, you know, the, the Internet is good or the Internet is bad, but the extent that we actually have nuanced understandings of what we're struggling with, we can have legitimate conversations about how, do we, how to make changes. Some of that may be legal. Some of them may be technical, and some of them are personal. And I, mm-hmm. I'm actually encouraged by the, the, the conversation and the way I feel it's moving just in the last year. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I totally agree with you that we just, the conversation needs to be had. And rather than just looking at good, bad, black or white, you know, people just say texting is bad. Well, I mean, it, it can have some negative effects, but what are the positives and how can we again use it in more positive ways without hurting us? Technology is a tool, it's just how we use it that can make it good, bad, and all those other things. So, uh, you know, I I definitely agree with you that the conversation is one that we need to have more of. And I think your book, Mindful Tech, definitely does a good job of uh, starting or continuing that conversation and hopefully getting people to talk more about it. Um, And and I hope that that it does have that impact. But Dr. Levy, I really want to thank you again for joining me tonight to discuss your book, Mindful Tech. And anyone who hasn't read it yet, I hope you will read it. But thank you so much for joining me tonight. Have a wonderful night. All right. Well, thank you to Dr. Levy again. Check out his book, Mindful Tech, How to Bring Balance to Our Digital Lives. Um, I really found it helpful and useful, and I'm sure you will too. Again, a big thanks to him and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Hope you have a wonderful night. 